Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You got Tommy and Randy here. Today, we're going to go be going over a study uh, called God's Last Question to Man. And it's basically, who do you worship? And uh, I'd like to start this off with, the, with some scripture. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my good deeds to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So these people are ready to be burned at the stake, and they're giving all their goods away to feed the poor. They have all faith, they have all knowledge, and they have the gift of prophecy. But if they don't have love, they have nothing. So what we're trying to get at here is love is very important. But without truth, you don't have true love. Love and truth go together. And if you sacrifice truth for the sake of love, you're going into the worldly love. You're not being brought back into God's love. And that's that unselfish, patient, kind, long-suffering love that we all need. So, but... Can you have love without truth, and can you have truth without love? Well, if you have truth without love, you become a Pharisee. If you have love without truth, then you become part of the movement of the love that's in the world today. And we don't want that. We want the right love, and we want the truth. And the study we're going to be going over today is going to go over how God's people have apostatized all throughout the Old Testament, and what made them apostatize, and were they having their own little false love movements? Were they sacrificing truth in the name of love, a false love? So, uh, Randy, uh, go ahead and start us off with this study. Okay. God's last... Thank you, Tommy. Uh, Very good points. Uh, God's last question to men. I'm going to read a little bit from the book that's going to be produced here that you're going to be able to download, Tommy so we can get a better insight of what we're going to discuss here. What me and Tommy are going to go back and forth with, through the power of the Son of God to the Father, through their spirit, Tommy, not a pagan trinity, Tommy. Okay, let me read a little bit about Ezekiel 8, and you're going to have Ezekiel 8 read to you by one of our guest speakers, so we're not going to go through that. But Ezekiel 8 is filled with original light that the Laodicean church has wandered away from. Remember, the Laodicean church was the seventh church, Tommy? Yes in the book of Revelation, which has opened the door to many heresies coming into her midst, Tommy. The basis of this study, which we're going to talk about, was put together by a pastor that did much research on the subject. Thank God for him. And some of his sources of information came from ministries in the 20s and 30s, Tommy. Wow. So this is not a new study, Tommy, nor is it new light, Tommy. Its original light has been lost through the years, of uh, years of deep apostasy and rejection of the truth by the church claiming to be the expositors of light, Tommy. Those in high place in the church have been so against this study that they have fired pastors from studying and sharing this light, Tommy. 
So you see, there is a conspiracy to keep truth from the people. Sounds like Facebook, doesn't it, Tommy? Yes, it does. <laughs> so that we are left in darkness about this message. Something I want to read to you. I'm not going to give you the person that quoted it. We, You know, the day of God's vengeance is just upon us. The seal of God will be placed upon the foreheads of those only. Now, let me repeat this. Those only who sigh and cry for the abominations done in the church. Tommy, the pagan trinity is an abomination to God. Yes. And his son, Jesus Christ. And me and Tommy, we're sighing and crying. For you to look at your Bible, study, grow closer to the Son, to the Father. So, in the 8th chapter of Ezekiel, we have five abominations. I want you to read Ezekiel chapter 8, right, Tommy? Yes. And I want you to highlight these five abominations, and they come in order, and I want you to be very critical of the order that they come in. They are listed. If you read carefully through Ezekiel 8, we find that one does not receive the seal of the living God. You know, there's a seal, there's a mark of God, just like there's a mark of the beast, Tommy. Yes. A lot of people don't re realize that. Unless you sigh and cry over these abominations, Tommy. Now, remember, this was God's chosen people that it went to back to a pagan trinity, Tommy. In the Bible, how can we cry over something, Tommy, if we don't even know what it is? In Ezekiel 8, there are a series of questions that God asks me and you, or asks mankind. In fact, these are the very last questions that God's going to ask man before he seals his faith, either with the seal of the living God or the mark of destruction. In Ezekiel 8.3, the vision begins, and we're going we're gonna to read that. The vision begins, and he put forth the form of a hand, and he took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Here the Lord introduces these abominations in their order of importance, Tommy. I think that's very critical, right? Yes. You know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It's kind of like a suit or domino effect, you know? Mm -hmm. First domino falls, the rest fall in suit. He introduces to the Babylonian and proper protocol, the Babylonian trinity, Tommy. First, he introduces the image of jealousy. The image of jealousy. Now, what is the image of jealousy? The father of this family, uh, then, then he introduced the father of this family, and then a little further down, he introduces the imagery, the mother of the family. First he introduces the father, then the mother, and then he introduces the baby of the family. You have any comment on that? Uh, it sounds to me like Babylon. It sounds to me like Nimrod, Samaramis, and Tammuz. Wow, Tommy. Great reflection. So then he introduces the 25 men facing east. Notice which way they're facing, Tommy. Yeah, towards the sun. Worshiping the sun, the image of jealousy, and the idols that are mentioned in verse 10. And Tammuz represents the pagan trinity, father, mother, and child. This is the, I call it the pagan trinity doctrine of the Church of Rome um, upon which all the other doctrines of the Church hang, Tommy. Now we kind of have, reading this book, Tommy, have you had a better understanding 
but why this is so important and why they emphasize that is that's the basis of all their other pagan doctrines is the Trinity. Yes. And, and another thing, Randy and I, we've studied, you know, Babylon and Nimrod, Samaramis and Timus and stuff. Uh, a lot of people don't know that that was the first Trinity in the world's history. And Nimrod, he, he was the mighty hunter that led to build the Tower of Babel. And he married his mother, Samaramis. And then after he died, Samaramis became pregnant and she gave birth to Tammuz. And what she said was, was that a ray of light from the sun came into her and it was Nimrod being reincarnated. And that's where the Christian pagan doctrine of the Trinity came from, why the people are so fixed on that the Father is literally the Son in the flesh and that the Holy Spirit is a third person. So, uh, and also, Randy, what day was Tammuz uh, born on? Christmas. December 25th. Isn't that amazing, Tommy? Mm Mm-hmm. The the solstice. So, just for some of you that that don't know how our holidays are uh, rooted in in, um, pagan beliefs, um, that just kind of gives you a short little history on it. You could study it, you know, for yourself. Get the book, Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. If not... Just please download this book, study it. I'll put it in the description below. But Randy, go ahead. I wanted to. I wanted to something that was enlightened. I just came back uh, from Washington D.C., Tommy. You know, I like to take a lot of uh, historical pictures. Yes. Okay. And I like to compare them with the Bible. Yes. To see if they're pagan or not. Well, anyway, something I want to read to you that I thought was most astonishing that I think that God led me to today that I wanted to try to expose as we're talking about this pagan trinity. I want to read Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 through 8, Tommy. But I want to concentrate on verse 7 a little bit. Is that okay, Tommy? Yeah. Okay, so let's read verse 18, uh, chapter 18, 4 through 8. It said, And I heard another voice, starting with verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Notice this is a female entity here, right? Her? Yes. Okay. For her sins have reached unto heaven, Tommy. Her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. He says, reward her even as she has rewarded you, and double unto her her double according to her works in the cup which she has filled to her double. Now, verse 7, how much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. This is God speaking, his son, Jesus Christ. They're raining down this torment. And notice what she saith in her heart or her mind. Now, listen to this. For she saith in her heart, I set a queen. Now, Tommy, I just went to the Catholic Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and over the door, by the way, the head post of one of the entrances in the cathedral, I'm going to quote to you, and Tommy might want to put this picture up, excuse me, put this picture up if he wants to, and these are their words. This is the Catholic Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and I'm reading from my Bible. It says above the doorway, with a reef, by the way, above there it says, Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our Lord of Hope. Now, let me reread that again. Let me reread this. It says, I set a queen in Revelation chapter 18, verse 7. 
and I am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Right over the door of the Catholic Church Cathedral in Washington, D.C., is engraved in almost seven-inch letters, Hail Holy Queen Mother of Mercy, our life of hope. Tommy, I don't know how much plainer you can get than that. Yeah, it's an abomination because we all know that uh, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And what queen are they preferring to here? They're preferring to, of course, the Catholic Church, yes. but what, Mary? Mary, yes. Which is part of the pagan Trinity. Trinity. And this is right in front of your face. It's not hidden. Now it says, how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart. Here she's saying it on the top of her door in six-inch letters. Yes. I set a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Verse 8, therefore shall her plagues come in one day death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And why is the Lord God judging judgeth her or anyone that follows her? Because um, she's leading people into apostasy. And how is she leading people into apostasy? Because the final battle, Tommy, is over worship, right? Yes. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or not. It's what you worship, isn't it, Tommy? Yes. Satan doesn't care if you worship your car, your wife, your dog, or your cat, as long as it's not the Son of God to the Father. So it's all over worship. So let me ask you, and, and here's a question that I have to ask. Does God condone worship if you have a pagan doctrine as the Trinity? No. What about worshiping in vain? And you're worshiping in ignorance. And then even in John chapter 4, I believe, when he was talking to the uh, Sumerian woman, where a time will come where the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And how can you worship the Father in spirit and truth if you don't know who the Father is, who the Son is, or who the Holy Spirit is. Now, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe that that Spirit is a person, but that Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son, not a third being. Not a third being. No. And so you can worship falsely, right? Yes. And you can worship in vain, right? Yes. Right? Yes. So just because you have a denom no denominational name saves you, Tommy. No, and, and you can worship ignorantly, too. And the Bible does say that God winks at her ignorance. But if you choose to stay in ignorance, it is no longer ignorance. It is, it is willful, willful ignorance and not true ignorance. So uh, also in Hosea, it even says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So if you reject that knowledge, then your fate is on your own head. So let's look at the Laodicean church in the format of what we were talking about in yes. the pagan trinity. So let's see what the problem was with this Laodicean church. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the, amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, they are that, that they are neither cold nor hot, I would, I would were cold or hot. So then that because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Kind of sounds like Matthew chapter 7 Christianity, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, false Christianity. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, 
and have need of nothing, Tommy. In other words, I know all truth. I don't want to hear it. Jesus is my Savior. I know there's no deception coming, and the pagan trinity's true. Yeah. And they will not open their Bible. Yeah, and a lot of people, you, you really want to emphasize your works and your 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 diet, your your donations. You know, all that stuff's great. Don't stop it. But if you're not leading souls to Jesus, who can lead them to the Father, then your works are in vain. Your works do not save you. No, and good people, by the way, we love good people, but by your goodness is not going to get you to heaven. No, you do good works because you are saved. You do not do good works to be saved. Right. So there are a lot of people that are good. They're not going to be in heaven. The Bible says it. Yes. They're going to be deceived. Mm -hmm. And they've done wonderful works, not just good works, wonderful. And miracles, by the way. Mm -hmm. Casted out demons. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, blind, and naked. Boy, we could do a sermon just on that one scripture right there on those topics. Now, notice there's hope, but here's the hope. It says, I counsel thee to buy of me. Who's that? Jesus? Yes. The son of who? God. And he's not God the Son, right? No. So you you must identify who this is that's counseling you. Yes. So if you have a pagan trinity, how can you identify this? You can't. I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be as rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, which answers verse 17, that thou mayest, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that they may see us. Right now, we want you to anoint your eyes with that eye salve to see the abominations that churches are promoting for you that are not in your Bible. On this false love movement, remember, uh, Satan's going to appear as an angel of light. And that, that light is going to be a huge false love movement. And they're going to sacrifice truth. For that false love movement. Amen. In other words, Tommy, I love you. Bring in homosexuality and fornication and theft, but but I love you. We just keep going because Jesus loves you. Yeah. And how many churches do you go to? And, and we're not trying to you know talk bad about all churches, but I hear more and more uh, in in the news today about all these pastors that are having affairs with married women in the congregation. And Tommy, how could it not be any other way? Because they're worshiping a false god in the pagan trinity. Yeah, that, how can that not be any other way? Yeah, that's my first question: is is what god do they serve? And amen. And if you have the true god through His Son Jesus Christ, would you want to do that? No. Would you promote that, Tommy? No, you wouldn't. But see, the 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 if your god is idolatrous towards the one true god, then you're going to want to commit adultery. Mm. In other words. Uh, you would be tended to say that you could not overcome, that you would want to break all of the commandments. If you break one, you break them all. The commandments have no relevance in your life today. Correct. And then if you get caught cheating, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to lie. And then let's just say um, someone catches you with their wife and then they come at you, then you're going to probably going to want to defend yourself and kill that person. I mean, it, yeah, you, and it today just, it it's a have domino to, effect. Amen. And today it doesn't even have to be the wife. It can be another man with another man. Yes. It doesn't have to be a woman. No, no. Or it could be a little child. Mm-hmm. 
And I know a lot of you had out there that are listening to this have had that happen to you in the church and you can't figure it out is because God's presence never, it can't be there because you're worshiping, it's worship of a pagan trinity. You don't even know what God you worship. Yeah, I have a very good friend, very smart, very, very nice guy. Um, always enjoy my time with him. We're always laughing, having a good time. And he he battles with, well, you know, Tommy, how can I be, or how can I believe in God whenever his father and his grandfather had things happen to them in the Catholic Church that steered them away from believing in God. And what I try to point out to him is they didn't worship the right God. They, they had a Trinity God, not the one true God in his son. And isn't that a double-edged sword, too, to believe that when you walk in a building that God's presence is there? And it can't be if it's a pagan trinity. Yes. Now, so Satan works both ways. They think that that's the God that they serve while they're having sex with their child, and that's not the biblical God, amen, because they're not preaching salvation by righteous by faith. They're preaching salvation by works. Yes. And then you're getting back to Cain and Abel, and then Cain is the one who was, who was trying to be righteous by works, and he ended up killing the one, one who was righteous by faith. So we're, we're asking Tommy in verse 18, anoint thy eyes with eye salve. In other words, open your eyes up, brother. Yes. I just showed you some scripture in the Bible. It, it's all over the place of showing you that they're showing you in your face and laughing at you. They're preaching another Jesus. Yes, they are. So it says that thou mayest see, Tommy. Lord Jesus, anoint my eyes with eye salve that I mayest see. You know, you heard of the comment, the blind leading the blind in the ditch? Yes. That's all over the place today, Tommy. Verse 18. Notice there's hope now. How many of you have been to counselors out there? Raise your hand. We can't see you, can we, Tommy? No. Raise your hand. But it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be as rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be as clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. The shame of our sins do not appear. Tommy, you either run to Christ or you'll run away from him. Yes. Anoint thy eyes, and that, that may say, as many as I love, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and listen, repent, repent. The only way you can repent is, and, and you don't have to be perfect, is know what God gave for you in his son. And the pagan trinity denies that. Yes. Satan loves that too. Repent. What do you repent of, Tommy? Because you ate something bad today? No, uh, going against God. And, and don't, don't worry about the, the last six commandments. For, focus on that first one. You focus on that first one, the rest will start to fall in place. You have the right God and you, you have his son, and you let them make their changes in you, you will keep his law perfectly like his son did through, through, the, through their strength. And, but you can't keep the last nine if you don't keep the first one. No, you have to know who you're worshiping, right, Tommy? Yes, you do. And a relationship builds from that. Yes. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments here, Tommy, that most churches are saying that you're under grace that you no longer need to keep. Yes. <laughs> wow. So are you promoting lawlessness? And ignorance. I mean, because then there are also a lot of people say, well, the, the, whether you believe in the Trinity or not, you know, you just be a good person. And uh, if, as long as you believe in God, well, it, you don't get to heaven by believing in a God. You, you, you get to heaven by believing in the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. The Almighty. Yes. The Almighty God, the Father, he loves you. 
And the Trinity destroys the sanctuary message. I mean, the the Catholic Church they have they have corrupted every piece of furniture in the sanctuary. But most importantly, they have corrupted who your heavenly high priest is. Instead of your heavenly high priest being the literal Son of God who was born in the flesh, who overcame sin in the flesh, and who died for your sins, they are making it a metaphorical Son that has never been tempted in all points like we are and cannot atone for our sins. Another thing too, Tommy, what do we call men? Uh, I've noticed that some people call are called priests down here. The Bible never calls any man a priest except for Jesus Christ. Yes. I mean, we're not under the Levitical priesthood no. anymore. We're under the, the order of Melchizedek. And, right. and And Christ is our only, he is our only priest and he's our heavenly high priest in the sanctuary in heaven. Right. There's no need to call man priest anymore. Or father. No. Or holy father. Yes. Now, who's called holy father today, Tommy? The, the yeah, papacy. Yep. He's not my father. And he, he might be holy. your father. He's the father of the devil. And he ain't holy either. No, he's not. Especially with that pagan trinity. So it says, behold. Now listen, there's, it says, therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. Now notice, he stands at the door, the door of your mind or your heart and knocks. Now, Tommy, you ever had somebody knock on the door and you didn't want to answer? Yes. Explain that a little bit. Well, I mean, did I have something to hide or was I not dressed or, I mean, it, anything? Did, was it, was, did I just not want to talk to the person that was knocking? So Christ can still knock at the door and you not ever answer. And that could be anybody that professes to believe in Jesus or wants to follow a pagan knocker. He's knocking at the door to telling you to come out. Of yes. Her. Come out of Babylon. And you know, one thing that I've noticed about professed Christians is they are the, the, the last ones who want to talk about the Bible. Yeah, that's a good point, too. That's a very good point. Well, I think they were trained not to, you know, we have so many different translations out here that it's almost a state of confusion, Tommy. Yeah, and they're, they're afraid of people deceiving them when they're already deceived. And there's a, a really good quote, I believe, by Mark Twain that said, it is easier to deceive someone than to convince someone that they are already deceived. Good point. Excellent point right there. So behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now listen, it says, if any man hear my voice. It didn't say uh, Black Lives Matter or Antifa or the Seventh-day Adventist or the Baptist or the Methodist. It says any man, any, any man, black, white, yellow, purple, green, any man hear my voice. And notice what they have to do. They have to do something here, Tommy. They have to do, my goodness, you got to do something. Yep. You got to open that door, that mind and that heart. Open that door. It says, open the door. Now, this is what he says. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him, now notice, to him that overcometh, not underachieve, you overcome through the power of Christ to the Father, their spirit, not another spirit. Maybe that's why we have a lot of underachievers are a lot of sins that are being practiced because they don't have the right source to go to, Tommy. Yep. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Now, how did Jesus overcome sin while he was a, the Son of Man on earth? Have faith in his Father. And then also another, another point uh, before I forget, Randy, uh, that I want to make on that is a lot of people will say you can't keep the commandments. Well, here's the thing. Jesus inherited the sinful nature of Adam after the fall, and he overcame 
sin and defeated sin in the flesh, and he kept the law perfectly. So if you are telling people they cannot overcome sin, you are denying the power of Christ. And please let us know on the comment section if you're about to commit murder or adultery or anything or steal. Yes. Right, as a Christian. Let us know what you can't overcome. I'd like to be prepared with you a little bit, Tommy. Yes, I would. Yep. Now, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you, the closer you get to Christ, the more you're going to see the evil within yourself. But he's there to take that away. It's his righteousness, not yours. Yes. Don't get that confused now. Yeah, and we're not claiming to be sinless either, but we are also saying that we don't want to stay there. I'm sinless in Christ Jesus, in his righteousness, righteousness. not mine. Yep. So when somebody comes in and says, oh, brother, you can't overcome. You're going to be a sinner all your life. I believe that person might have a problem of not being born again. Yes. And, of course, it might be pretty hard to be born again with the pagan doctrine of the Trinity because it denies the Son and the Father, and it puts a third being uh, that's unholy in that spirit place. And that's why we talk about that so much. This book shows you that in a lot of clarity, starting with Ezekiel chapter 8, with a, a sect of individuals that were worshiping the true God at one time and then turned to the Trinity, Tommy. Yeah, and another thing with Trinitarians, they will fight tooth and nail to prove that the Father is literally the Son. But once they talk about that third person, that is a completely different person. That is God the Holy Spirit. It, it makes no sense to me by... They fight so much to say that Jesus is literally the Father in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit is a completely separate person. It is not like the Father and the Spirit. or I mean, it, it, you, you, they don't even say it's the Spirit of the Father and the Son, nothing. They just say it's God, the Holy Spirit, and then they say that Jesus is the Father. And the, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's very confusing. Yep. They can't even identify that God from their Bible. No. They can't even identify the God from their Bible. Mm-hmm. So it says, now notice here, and by the way, the Trinity in this scripture here is not here. I wanted you to notice something in verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Now there's one throne there, right, Tommy? Mm -hmm. My throne. That's Jesus, right? Yes. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father, my father in his throne. How many thrones are there, Tommy? Two. Where's the third throne for the Holy Spirit, Tommy? He must That's not an like abomination. To yes, it is. It's abomination. Yep. And we're reading from the book of Revelation, which is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to end it. There's a lot more uh, that, and I'm going to do a sermon on deception. It might not be here. It might not be in this broadcast, but it might be in different uh, areas on deception. But please read this book with your Bible on Ezekiel. This is God's last question to you, to you. I don't care what church you belong. I don't even care if you belong to a church. But this is the last question to man. And hopefully we, we, we will answer it here, not when we're in front of him be deceived of deception. The pagan doctrine of the Trinity is a deception. If you call it God it and it's still the Trinity, it's still a deception. And it's pagan, comes from Babylon. Idol worship starts first. Sunday worship was at the beginning, Tommy. It was idol worship. Then sun followed. Yes. So if anybody's preaching to you another gospel than the true gospel of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and they're preaching a pagan Trinity, that's another Jesus, brother. Yes. 
God bless you, Tommy. Yeah, I'll put a PDF of this book in the description below. I'll also have our narrator read it after we get done talking. Um, first, I'll have another narrator read Ezekiel's chapters 8 and 9. Um, yes, please study this. And if you want to order a copy of this book called God's Last Question to Man, you can go to testimonypress.org, and I'll put a link of, uh, of the book in the description below. Study to show thyself approved rightly, rightly dividing the Word of God. And here's the last thing. Let no man deceive you by any means. And God be, bless. And be like the faithful Bereans that search the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Yep. Thank you. Take care, and God bless. God bless. Ezekiel chapter 8. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of an hand, and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jeazaniah the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, 
Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Ezekiel chapter 9 He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, the Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. God's last question to man. Ezekiel 8. Ezekiel 8 is filled with the original light that the Laodicean church has wandered away from, which has opened the door to many heresies coming into her midst. The basis of this study was put together by a pastor that did much research on this subject, and some of his sources of information came from ministers in the 20s and 30s. 
And this is not a new study, nor is it new light. It is original light that has been lost through years of deep apostasy and rejection of truth by the church, claiming to be the expositors of light. Those in high places in the church have been so against this study that they have fired pastors from studying and sharing this light. So you see, there is a conspiracy to keep this truth from the people so that we are left in darkness about this message. Testament Evil 5p 212 The day of God's vengeance is just upon us. The seal of God will be placed upon the foreheads of those only who sigh and cry for the abominations done. In the 88th chapter of Ezekiel we have five abominations that are listed. If you read carefully through Ezekiel 8 you will find that one does not receive the seal of the living God unless you sigh and cry over all these abominations. How can we cry over something if we don't even know what it is? In Ezekiel 8 there are a series of questions that God asks man. In fact these are the very last questions that God is going to ask man before he seals his fate, either with the seal of the living God or the mark of destruction. In Ezekiel 8 3 the vision begins, and he put forth the form of an hand, and took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the by arms of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Here the Lord introduces these abominations in their order of importance. He follows proper protocol as he introduces to us the Babylonian trinity. As he introduces the image of jealousy, the father of this family, and then a little further down he introduces the imagery, the mother of the family, then he introduces the baby of the family. Then he introduces the twenty-five men facing east worshipping the sun, the image of jealousy, and the idols that are mentioned in verse 10 and Tammuz represent the pagan trinity father, mother-child. This is the trinity doctrine of the Church of Rome upon which all the other doctrines of the Church hang. The very first thing that God introduces here is the image of jealousy. Notice what he says, that it is in the entrance of the gateway to the inner court which faces toward the north. It's an image that provokes to jealousy. Do you remember what Lucifer determined in his heart in Isaiah 14, 12, 13? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north. He wanted to occupy that throne on the sides of the north from before his fall. Let us take a look at a vision that was given the servant of the Lord in 1845. Rod April 6, 1846 in February. 1845, I had a vision of events commencing with the midnight cry. I saw a throne, and on it sat the Father and the Son. I gazed on Jesus' countenance and admired his lovely person, the Father's person I could not behold, for a cloud of glorious light covered him. I asked Jesus if his Father had a form like himself. He said he had, but I could not behold it, for said he, if you should once behold the glory of his person, you would cease to exist. Before the throne I saw the evident people, the church, and the world. I saw a company, bowed down before the throne, deeply interested, 
while the most of them stood up disinterested and careless. Those who were bowed before the throne would author up their prayers and look to Jesus, then he would look to his Father, and appeared to be pleading with him. A light would come from the Father to the Son, and from the Son to the praying company. Then I saw an exceeding bright light come from the Father to the Son, and from the Son it waved over the people before the throne. But few would receive this great light. Then he came out from under it and immediately resisted it. Others were careless, and did not cherish the light, and it moved off from them. Some cherished it, and went and bowed down with the little praying company. This company all received the light, and rejoiced in it, as their countenances shone with its glory. And I saw the Father rise from the throne, and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil, and did sit. There I saw thrones that I had never seen before. Then Jesus rose up from the throne, and the most of those who were bowed down arose with him. And I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitude after he arose, and they were left in perfect darkness. God moved from the place Satan had so long coveted at the commencement of the investigative judgment in 1844, continuing, quote, who rose up when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. Then he raised his right arm, and we heard his lovely voice saying, Wait here, I am going to my father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garments spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you to myself. And I saw a cloudy chariot, with wheels like flaming fire, and angels were all around it as it came, where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot, and was borne to the holiest where the Father sat. There I beheld Jesus, as he was standing before the Father, the great high priest. On the hem of his garment was a bell and pomegranate. Then Jesus showed me the difference between faith and feeling. And I saw those who rose up with Jesus send up their faith to him in the holiest, and praying, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. And the breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and peace. Then I turned to look at the company, who were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Satan appeared to be by the throne trying to carry. On the work of God, I saw them look up to the throne and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Satan would breathe upon them an unholy influence in it. There was light and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. I saw one after another leave the company, who were praying to Jesus in the holiest, and go and join those before the throne, and they at once received the unholy influence of Satan. Notice, Satan appeared to be by the throne, he is not sitting on the throne, for he cannot take the place of God. This move by God from this throne that has long provoked Satan to jealousy is very interesting. It's as if God is saying to Satan, Go ahead and be there. If you can win them to your side, you can have them. So this was Satan's jealousy. He wants to be God. Satan has a symbol or an image for this seat of jealousy. It is an image that provokes to jealousy. This image is symbolically represented by an obelisk. Along with this image is the actions that go with it. In the book Fathers of the Catholic Church written by E.J. Agner, 1888 says on page 268 the worship of images and the observance of the Sunday festival came 
into the church about the same time, but images were regarded with reverence a long time before Sunday was regarded as a sacred day. The images come in first, and then the people are led into Sunday worship that is compatible with Ezekiel 8, the very last. Abomination is the leaders, they lead the people into Sunday worship, but first comes the images. Fathers of the Catholic Church, E.J. Agner, 1888, page 307 says, the frequent references to this form of religion in the Old Testament are obscured in the English version by the rendering grove for the word Asherah, which sometimes denotes the goddess and sometimes the tree or post which was her symbol. Baal himself was represented on the high places not by an image, but by obelisks or pillars. Maxiboth the only images, sometimes called Chamanim, or sun pillars, a name which is to be compared with the title Belchaman, frequently given to the god on Phoenician inscriptions. All sun images had an obscene signification. Images come in first, and then there is an associated action with them. It is as if the pagan trinity comes in and plants their banner and claims power to do their actions. Thus images represent sun pillars or obelisks. Exodus 34, 11, 14, Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hibite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves, or thou shalt worship no other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. We now see what the pagan symbols are. Images, the sun pillars, groves, the symbol of Semiramis, and the third and final person in the pagan trinity, the baby or Tammuz. These we shall study in a moment. The first one stands for Satan himself, this image of jealousy. What does this image of jealousy look like? An obelisk, which is none other than the erect phallic symbol, a representation of the male sex organ. A four-sided figure, e, with a pie-ancient Egyptian obelisk garden, ornament obelisk, Washington monument obelisk. Ramadal top. In Ezekiel 8 this image of jealousy stood in the entrance. Do you remember what stands in the entrance of the Vatican? It is an obelisk, the phallic symbol. It didn't get there by accident. It is the sun, sex fertility symbol of Baal, Satan himself, the father and head of the pagan trinity. Let us now learn what the Lord God of heaven has to say about it in the book Babylon Mystery Religion by Ralph Woodrow P. 41 it states the red granite obelisk of the Vatican is itself 83 feet high, 132 feet high, with its foundation, and weighs 320 tons. In 1586, in order to center it in front of the door of church in St. Peter's Square, it was moved to its present location by order of Pope Sixtus V. Notice it was centered directly in the entrance. And of course the moving of this heavy obelisk, especially in those days, was a very difficult task. Many movers refused to attempt the feat, especially since the Pope had attached the death penalty if the obelisk was dropped and broken. Testimony, Volume 5p. 
160 Satan's snares are laid for us as verily as they were laid for the children of Israel just prior to their entrance into the land of Canaan. We are repeating the history of that people. Exodus 34, 12, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. We just read that we are repeating the history of the children of Israel. It is amazing how much professed Christianity of today is repeating that history. The Bible warned us, but we have been led astray by the priests of Baal that have come in among us and taken away our purity of faith and given us Baal worship. Sister White warned us that Baal would be the choice. Comfort hash 133p. In 1892 there has been a departure from God among us and the zealous work of repentance and return to our first love essential to restoration to God and regeneration of heart has not yet been done. Infidelity has been making its inroads into our ranks for it is the fashion to depart from Christ and give place to skepticism. With many the cry of the heart has been, we will not have this man to reign over us. Oh, bow is the choice. The religion of many among us will be the religion of apostate Israel, because they love their own way, and forsake the way of the Lord. The true religion, the only religion of the Bible, that teaches forgiveness only through the merits of a crucified and risen Saviour, that advocates righteousness by the faith of the Son of God, has been cited, spoken against, ridiculed, and rejected. It has been denounced as leading to enthusiasm and fanaticism. But it is the life of Jesus Christ in the soul. It is the active principle of love imparted by the Holy Spirit that alone will make the soul fruitful unto good works. The love of Christ is the force and power of every message for God that ever fell from human lips. What kind of a future is before us if we shall fail to come into the unity of the faith? Exodus 34, 13, 14 But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God now. Do you see where the term image of jealousy comes from in Ezekiel chapter 8, where the Lord says image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy? The question is, which one is it? Is it the pillar or the groves? Because the groves stood for Semiramis or Mrs. Bowl, the mother, the second personage of the Trinity, and is introduced a little further down in Ezekiel 8. So by the process of elimination the image of jealousy referred to here are the pillars. God commanded the breaking down of these obelisks, and the Pope of Rome ordered the death penalty if it was broken. Talk about changing laws. Equals pillars in the Hebrew word Matzabah Matzabah of H5324, something stationed, that is a column or memorial stone. By analogy an idol garrison, standing image pillar. Matzibah translated pillars slash image. If you look in the Revised Standard Version, it is sometimes translated obelisk. That is what pillar or image means in obelisk. Matzibah has different translations, just as we say car, automobile, Dodge, Ford, Chevy, or vehicle, etc. It may have different words used in different texts, but whether it says idol, image, or pillar, it is speaking about the obelisk. It is the same thing the obelisk. As I stated earlier, it was and still is a sex, sun fertility symbol. 
So what was the purpose of putting an obelisk up in the entrance? Why was the representative or antichrist so interested in the obelisk from Egypt that it was brought over and placed in the front entrance of the door of the Mother Church of Rome? To answer that question, let us ask another question. The sun rises in which direction? The east. The sun hits the pagan sex fertility symbol. It hits that phallic symbol and the shadow creeps across Vatican Square and symbolically impregnates the Mother Church of Rome with the power of the sun through the front, doorway every day. And that is the way it was used in ancient times as a worship of the ball image. The obelisk, the image, pillow, is an obelisk. This is the image of jealousy that Exodus 34, 13, 14 warns us about. How have we forgotten? But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Many may skeptically ask, how do we know that this is an obelisk, and that it is a symbol of Baal worship? The first reason we know this is an obelisk is found in Exodus 34, which mentions altars, images, and groves. By word study we can find the meaning of all three, and then by process of elimination. The second reason we know this is an obelisk is in Ezekiel 6, 4, 6. And your altar shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones round about your altars. In all your dwelling places the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate. That your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your images may be cut down and your works may be abolished. In verse 4 you have the word images in the margin of some study Bibles it says, sun images. In Strong's Concordance it says, Chaman equals Kamorn. Strong's Concordance from H.O. 1535. A sun pillar, idol, or image. So the Heber W. word Chaman 1535 means, a sun pillar, also translated equals sun image or image. Remember what we read in Fathers of the Catholic Church, E.J.P. 3. Andred 7 Wagner, which says, Baal himself was represented on the high places not by an image, but by obelisks or pillars maxiboth E.V. Only images, sometimes called chamanim or some pillars, a name which is to be compared with the title Baal Chaman, frequently given to the god on Phoenician inscriptions. The third reason we that we know that this is an obelisk is that we have the research from E.J. Wagner done in 1888, given us from old now unobtainable sources and written in the book Fathers of the Catholic Church. There are many other sources come to light on the internet now, such as Mystery Babylon by Woodrow Wilson. God has preserved enough evidence for the honest in heart to lay aside all doubt and accept the truth on these matters. The Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., is modelled after an Egyptian obelisk. According to Diodorus, Queen Semiramis in Babylon erected a 130-foot-tall obelisk. The obelisk was popular associated with sun worship. The wrecked upright pointed column, which represents the phallus, the male sex organ of vulnerables, a common theme of Babylonian worship with great emphasis on 
sexuality. Ah, Bible mentions such standing images, Matsuba. 1 Kings 14, 23, 24, for they also built them high places and images, and groves on every high hill, and under every green tree. And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. 2 Kings 18, 4, he Hezekiah removed the high places, and break the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nahashton. Notice that the practice of sodomy is mentioned in conjunction with the erecting of these obelisks. 2 Kings 23.14 And he break in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. This verse is speaking about King Josiah after hearing the book of the law that was found in the clean-up job at the temple. He sent men unto Huldah the prophetess, who lived in Jerusalem at the college, and the king wished to know how to undo what their forefathers had done by not following the book of the law. She told him that the anger and judgments would come upon Israel, but that because he had wept and repented and turned from evil that God would withhold judgment until he slept with his fathers. Then he went out and cleaned up the cities of Judah, he broke all the images, and cut down the groves, and got rid of all these abominable things that were mingled with the worship of God. This verse speaks about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. God called him my servant. Jeremiah 43:13. He shall break also the images of Bethshemesh, that is in the land of Egypt. And the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. Micah 5.13, Thy graven images idols also will I cut off, and thy standing images obelisks out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. Notice here it says graven images and the end standing image God is letting us know that graven images or idols are not the same as these standing images. When God is specific we need to pay close attention to what he is saying. Sun images hamanim, sun pillars obelisks. Isaiah 17, 8, And he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. Images challenge on pillars. God will not forever allow these standing images to remain, but will cast them down. The image of jealousy erected in the entry to the temple was an obelisk, symbol of the phallus, a symbol of sexual perversion that led to an unconditional, nothic sentimentalism, in the worshippers. Isaiah 27, 9, By this therefore shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin, when he maketh all the stones of the altar, as chalkstones that are beaten in sunder, the groves and images shall not stand up. What is it that purges the iniquity of Jacob? The taking away of the groves, the beating in sunder the stones, groves and idols, and pulling down the images obelisks. Act to Ezekiel 8, 5 then, said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold northward at the gate of the altar this image of jealousy in the entry. It was custom to place an obelisk at the entrance of a heathen temple. And so it is that at the entrance to St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican in Rome, there is an Egyptian obelisk. This is not a copy of an Egyptian obelisk, as is the Washington Monument, but an original.
It is the same obelisk that stood in Egypt in ancient times of the pagan temple of Heliopolis, city of the sun god, Emperor Caligula, in 3741 A.D., hauled it from Egypt to Rome at great expense to his circus. On Vatican Hill, Heliopolis is the Greek name of the Hebrew Basimesh, House of the Sun, which was the center of ancient Egyptian sun worship. Obelisks that stood there are called images of Basimesh, as we just read in Jeremiah 43, 13. In 1586, Pope Sixtus V had the 83-foot-high 320-ton obelisk moved to the center front of St. Peter's Square, where it resides today. This is symbolic of the merging of pagan sun worship with professing Christianity. Now let us look at how the Lord feels about the obelisk, this symbol of the image of jealousy. Deuteronomy 16, 22. Up thou set thee up any image, H4676, mats of a standing pillar, sun pillar, which the Lord thy God hateth. So we see here in this verse, God hates these standing pillars representative of the phallic, the male sex organ. Remember that he says, Ancient Egyptian obelisk, Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, and I change not. Satan, who before his fall was called Lucifer, has seen God's throne personally, for he was a covering cherub over the throne of God. God has symbols in his sanctuary, and Satan said, I am going to have my symbols, I am going to have my sanctuary. God has a sanctuary in heaven. I am going to have my sanctuary on earth, and I am going to have all of my symbols there, and I am going to try to permeate all of God's professed people with my symbols to make the masses think that they are worshipping God, when in reality they are worshipping me. Religion is simply what God and Satan say it is, not what we decide that it should be. We must choose which side to stand on and be loyal to that side, for God warned us that we can never serve two masters. Matt 6, 24. Man must decide which side he wants to join. But men, under the influence of Satan, have always tried to get the two sides blended into one so that they will look loyal to God when they are not. Matt 16.6.12. We need to join true God of religion that is pure, and get rid of the things God hates, all of the things God hates, for he will make no exceptions for anyone to mingle the two sides together. Call it loyalty to God, and be saved at last, Reverend. 21.27. For only those that had no sympathy with Lucifer kept their first estate. C4 is B319.3. In order to walk with God, we must get on the narrow path cast high up above the world that God has commanded us to walk in leaving friends and family behind who refuse to be a friend of God. This is the cost of true discipleship. Matt 10, 37, we must let go of all the things that God hates in order to be on God's side. We cannot compromise. Why does God hate these things? The bowl image was a sex, sun fertility symbol. It brought lewd and perverted actions. We must look at the actions that come with the worship of this family. In ancient Israel, when a woman gave birth to her firstborn baby, when the nation was following Baal worship, she had to sacrifice the baby to the sun god. And told thousands of babies were sacrificed in front of these images. Now you might think that that is barbaric, and that we would never do something like that but we are through abortion of unborn babies by the millions in church.
state-run hospitals. These abortions are being done in the name of Baal worship. Dar does not sanction this. These churches that run these hospitals have steeples slash obelisks upon the top of their church buildings. How can we think that this is pleasing to God? How can we think that he will hear our prayers as a people when we do this and allow this to go on and on? These church-run hospitals don't stop there with the murdering of these innocent babies. No. They are not content with the vast amount of money made by giving the abortion. They have to then make more money off of those tiny fetuses. They can't let them go to waste. So they then take the body parts of these babies and put the DNA of them into the vaccines that are shot into the children that are born live, messing them up for life. I ask, yeah, how sick can a society get? God is making note of all this. He will not justify this. Exodus 23, 7 The innocent and righteous say thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. They also sell the collagen of those aborted babies for face and hand cream for women. Will God mark you as guilty for using this stuff? They also take the kidneys of those babies for flavor enhancers. This is placed in processed foods and drinks to enhance the flavor and cause people to overeat. It is hidden under the name natural flavorings. Obama agency rules Pepsi's use of aborted fetal cells and soft drinks constitutes ordinary business. To my way of thinking, this is not only barbaric, it is totally sick. How shall we become pure and ready to meet the Lord? By doing as the Lord commands us to do, by tearing these things down, by separating from those who think it is ordinary business, by weeping between the porch and the altar, by understanding that pharmacare is witchcraft, and turning away from it, living the way God would have us live so that we do not need a rich doctor to give us a potion, to cut, burn, or poison us. Isaiah 27, 9 By this therefore shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged, and this is all the fruit to take away his sin. And he maketh all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in sunder, the groves and images shall not stand up. The word for images, or as some translations of the Bibles, Saint incense altars his chamans on pillar, an obelisk. The Lord gave orders in Isaiah chapter 27, when he was trying to get his people out of Baal worship, that not one obelisk was to remain standing. What did Pope Sixtus V come along and do in 1586? He has the very 83-foot-high 320-ton obelisk spoken of by Jeremiah moved from Bethlehemish House of the Sun to Rome, and in the moving of it pronounced stand it up erect and if you drop it or break it you die. Thus, he merged bowl worship with Christianity. And along with the images come the actions of sexual practices of adultery, fornication, and lovesick sentimental, unconditional loveism that is nothing less than spiritualism, bowl worship. E4SB 405.2 We are told this and had we as individuals been a studied people, we would have known this long ago. How do I dare to say that the unconditional, love philosophy within the church is spiritualism. I'm just quoting the servant of the Lord. Spirit of Prophecy Volume 4 P. 405 Spiritualism is now changing its form, veiling some of its more objectionable and immoral features, and assuming a Christian guise. Formerly it denounced Christ and the Bible. Now it professes to accept both. The Bible is interpreted in a manner that is attractive to the unrenewed heart, 
while its solemn and vital truths are made of no effect. A guarded love is presented, but his justice, his denunciations of sin, the requirements of his holy law, are all kept out of sight. Pleasing, bewitching fables captivate the senses of those who do not make God's word the foundation of their faith. Christ's is as verily rejected as before. But Satan has so blinded Laodicea the eyes of the people that the deception is not discerned. As spiritualism assimilates more closely to the nominal Christianity of the day, it has greater power to deceive and ensnare. Satan himself is converted after the modern order of things. He will appear in the character of an angel of light. Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible and express regard for Sunday, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. If you search by word study, you will find from Genesis 2, Malachi God condemns the setting up and worship of the obelisk, the groves and all these things over, and over his command is for them to be torn down. Remember the servant of the Lord, said Testimonies, Volume 5p. 160 Satan's snares are laid for us as verily as they were laid for the children of Israel just prior to their entrance into the land of Canaan. We are repeating the history of that people. In Exodus 23 the children of Israel, not yet in Canaan cards, said this, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angels shall go before thee, and bring thee in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Exodus 23, 2223. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And pillars obelisks, and look at what God promises them in the very next verse. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and ye shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Exodus 23, 24. Are these things not important to the Lord? Jude 27, 15 concerning the obelisk shows us. This obelisk, the symbol of the image of jealousy, is the first person of the Trinity covered in the abominations of Ezekiel 8, and it stands for Satan, the head of the family. This is a very interesting verse. Let's look at it closely. Be the man that maketh any graven or molten image an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Deuteronomy 27.15 Hebrew word maketh eight six thousand two hundred thirteen. Also this is the very same word found in Exodus 24, Thou shalt not make or saw. This word means more than just make. It means to gather, to get, to furnish, to procure, to maintain, to deal with, to use. This is the man that gathers, gets, maintains, furnishes, procures, deals with, or uses any graven or molten image. So the Lord places a curse upon the man that maketh. Concordance, Hebrew word for image, H4541, Nasekor from H5258, properly pouring over. Fusion of metal, especially a cast image covering, molten image. Back to Deuteronomy 27, 15, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven carved out of stone, 
or molten made out of metal image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer, and say, Amen. So what is the meaning of abomination? 1828 Webster's Dictionary says, Extreme hatred, detestation. Abomination to eber pronounced to ibor, something disgusting, an abhorrence, especially idolatry, or an idol, abominable, abomination. This Hebrew word toba is the same word used in jute. It seems to describe God's view of spiritualism and witchcraft. The abominations that are spoken of in jute. It seems about mediums, wizards, witches, and necromancers is the Hebrew word toba. This is a special Hebrew word that God uses for spiritualism and the occult. There are different words for the word abomination. If you search through by word study, you will see that. Though this is a special word that the Lord uses to describe his abhorrence for spiritualism, witchcraft, bowl worship, the occult, and everything connected with it. Deuteronomy 27, 15 Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image an abomination and to the Lord the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer, and say, Amen. The word secret here in the Hebrew is Sether Sitter Secret Sether Sithor from H5641. A cover in a good or a bad, a literal or a figurative sense, backbiting, covering covert, disguise, hiding place, privilege, protection, secret lie, protected place. And the word place in Hebrew is Morkom. Mekoma means used widely of locality. Twelve Morkom, 34 Mekoma from H6965, properly a standing, that is a spot, but used widely of a locality. So we have something that is secretly placed, in other words, it is covertly disguised, used widely of locality, hiding it in plain sight, even on his DA churches. Look at this Gothic looking. Lake Paris SDA Church. These are buildings with Satan's symbol on them. These are a worship to Satan. They are disguised, secretly placed, concealed. Church steeples sometimes come today disguised as a lightning rod. One pastor tells of having an obelisk called a lightning rod in the church he was pastoring. When he went to remove it, he found that the obelisk was only grounded to the roof of the church, not to earth ground, and under it was a large charred spot where the roof had taken some good strong lightning hits. When it was taken down, some of the people got very angry. He tried to reason with them, and say, Look, it is not doing any good up. There, as a lightning rod in. Fact, it is a miracle that the church hasn't caught on. Fire due to this thing being grounded to the roof, the wire that ran from the lightning rod was just tied to the roof to be ineffective. Lightning rod it should have had copper wire running down into the ground. They would not listen. A few in the church became so angry that they went and put the obelisk back up after they fired that faithful minister. One of the people that had helped take it down went up and checked it and found that they had not grounded it to the ground. They had it exactly as before. Every time there's a thunderstorm, the layman drives by the church keeps looking at it, marvelling at the mercy of God for rebellious people. To have one up and not know of its true meaning is one thing, but to have been taught and still persist is quite another thing.
Now another character of these obelisks in Old Testament times is that they were set up in high places, they were put up on a hill or mound, and they had significance when they were on a high place. This is a high place in Jordan. What is the top of a church? Isn't that a high place? Disguised as a lightning rod, yet not even functioning as a lightning rod. That a secretly disguised, covertly placed deception. Talk about covert behavior. The Lord said this would happen. He said that we were going to have the same snares that the children of Israel had just before they entered into Canaan. We have the identical things happening today. In the Bible students saw book of the SDA commentaries on page 770, the site of this first Christian persecution was as Tacitus tells us in Nero's gardens beyond the Tiber. Here in an area at the foot of the Vatican Hill Nero held his chariot races to the north lay the temples of Sibyl and Mithras Sibyl is another name for Semiramis. She has many different names depending upon which country you are in, reading on to the north lay the temple areas of Sibyl and Mithras, while on the center of the circus itself stood the red granite obelisk transported by Caligula from Heliopolis in Egypt, which today stands in the center of St. Peter's Piazza. That is from an Adventist Bible source book. Now let's see, according to this SDA source book, this red granite obelisk came from Heliopolis in Egypt. Now notice that they have the obelisk and the temple of Sibyl in the same locality. This unholy trinity has been around for a long time. Look at what the Lord said about the obelisk in Heliopolis in Egypt. Turn with me to Jeremiah 43.13. He shall break also the images Matzib or column, or sun pillar, of Bethshemesh, that is in the land of Egypt. And the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. The Revised Standard Bible says, He shall break the obelisk of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. Jeremiah 43.13 RSV Jeremiah very specifically pointed out these particular obelisks in Egypt. Notice that there was more than one obelisk there as it states obelisk plural. The Lord was using Nebuchadnezzar, and he writes concerning what Nebuchadnezzar was going to do for him. Beshemesh is the Hebrew word that means literally temple house of the sun. Heliopolis is the Greek word meaning literally temple house of the sun. Though the obelisk that stands in Rome at the entrance to the Vatican is the one that came from Heliopolis, the temple of the sun in Egypt, the center for sun worship in Jeremiah's day. And God said that these obelisks were to be broken down. He wanted them to be destroyed, not saying we should run out and begin destroying other people's property, i.e., for God will take care of these abominations himself, but we should make as many as possible aware of this secret abomination. We must also remove all of these abominations from our homes, our lives, and our churches, if we do not want to be destroyed by the slaughtering weapon of the angel of Ezekiel 9. Don't and be separate. We have looked at what the Word of God says and what history teaches. We have what Adventist authors said in 1888. Now, what do the Catholics say? It is very interesting to see what they say about this image. The Catholic Encyclopedia B0L. 
13, 1912, page 370, when the 248 columns and 88 pilasters are entirely travesty. Joining the elliptical palace is a square one, which diminishes in extent toward the church. The sides consist of extensive corridors, of which the one on the right belongs to the apostolic palace of the Vatican. The columnades and corridors are surrounded by 162 figures of saints, after design by Bernini. In the middle of the ellipse towers, the celebrated obelisk of Heliopolis. Its removal to the present site took place in 1586, and both sides of the obelisk are two beautiful fountains 45.9 feet high. The apex of the obelisk is adorned with a bronze cross adorned with a fragment of the true cross. Satan comes in disguise and a Christian art many times. So don't let anyone tell you it is just art. It's not. It is interesting when you put all these sources together and see the picture that emerges and it is astounding to see that the signs of Satan have been hidden in plain sight. Alberto Riviera, the ex-Jesuit priest, put out a paper through Chick Publications called The Godfather's Page 26. It states this, Doctor. Riviera explained that when he was under the extreme oath of the Jesuits, he was told that a secret sign was to be given to the Jesuits worldwide when the ecumenical movement had successfully wiped out Protestantism in preparation for a signing of a concordant between the Vatican and the U.S. The sign was to be that when a president of the United States took his oath of office facing an obelisk for the first time, in U.S. history, the swearing in ceremonies were moved to the west front of the Capitol and present, began face the Washington Monument. This happened January 20, 1981. This was to be assigned to Jesuits all over the world, but Protestantism was no longer a threat in the United States. The obelisk is the symbol of the image of jealousy spoken about in Ezekiel 8, 3, 5, and he put forth the form of an hand, and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the visions of God, to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. And said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar this image of jealousy in the entry. Whenever the Lord repeats something, it is for emphasis. God says, Tear these things down. Along comes a pope that says, Move it to the entrance of the church, and if you drop it, you die. What a blatant changing of God's express command. Now we come to verse 6. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Now God asks the question, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? Do you see the great abominations, terrible spiritualistic abominations? This is the same word used in Deuteronomy 18 to describe witchcraft. The same word for abominations every single time you see it terrible spiritualistic abominations. It connects spiritualism all over the place, hash one from ancient Egypt, hash two to the Fox Sisters, with the communing obelisk of spiritualism, hash three to the Washington Monument, hash four to the very obelisk 
from Egypt that now stands in the door of the Vatican. Hash 5 to the steeples upon the Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Anglican, and Hash 6 Mormon churches. And yes to the Hash 7 Seventh-day Adventist churches. Question. Can God be present at the worship happening in these places and a satanic, ugliest symbols? Let us see what he says in Ezekiel 8, 6. Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go forth from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Something to think about. If God is not there, should we be there? We are living in hash two, hash three, hash four, hash five, hash six, hash one. Those days where God is far from his sanctuary. Israel had these hash. Seven hash seven abominations, and now apostate Protestantism is repeating these abominations. I, if that is how they have become apostate, besides these images, along comes Satan with more abominations. He has apostate education with gay support groups in the Christian colleges. He has the apostate medical walk with abortion clinics, killing and selling the bodies of our most innocent and vulnerable little ones. Along with the images comes the actions. Satan has the apostate doctrines, i.e. life after death, ever-burning hell feast-keeping, holy name come to church, be baptized, sit down, pay all your tithe and offerings, and you are saved. No Holy Spirit Jesus will give you a new character when he comes, nobody's perfect till then, and etc. Satan has the apostate hierarchy and church organizations. He has the apostate worship practices, and along with all this comes the images and the actions. God has been literally driven from his sanctuary. The church is in the Laodicean state. The presence of God is not in her midst. One note for prefix 99, 1898. Now some people think that Ellen White was a spiritualist because an obelisk was placed on James' grave before her death. And some say that if she was a true prophetess, she would have not allowed it. May I submit to you some rational thinking? Just because she was a prophetess, that did not make her all-knowing. It also did not make her the top all man in the church. In fact, the church leader sent her to Australia in 1891 for nine years to get her out of the way so that they could develop their system of religion, which was nothing all than out of control rebellion. Case in point, look at the prophets of the Bible, Elijah, had to hide for three years from the G.C. president of his day. Jeremiah also hid from his conference president. Prophets have never ever been accepted by the leadership of the church because the message they bear is a message against the actions and sins of the leaders and members of the professed church. If this obelisk was Sister White's doing in the church is faultless, then I submit to you this question. Why do we see this today? It is not her fault for these buildings have been built long since her death. Ezekiel 8, 78, and he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. And said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall, and when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. What is the significance of a hole in the wall? The wall symbol Anvil SDA Church, Caldeo SDA Church, Paris SDA Church, Calhoun SDA Church, Isis the Truth, 
Testimony Volume 4 P. 357 The truth as it is in Jesus is a wall of fire around the soul that clings to him. The truth has been covered up, and we have to dig for it, in order to find it, just as the Berlians did in Paul's day. The Lord is giving us instructions here to dig deeply into the original KJV Bible, the most accurate we have today, and the original spirit of prophecy books to find the truths that have been penknifed apart and changed just as the word of God was in Jeremiah's day by the hierarchy of the church in his time. See our study on Jeremiah 36. For more information on this subject, we must uncover these things and bring them to the light, exposing them for what they truly are. These spiritualist images and practices are of Satan. This must be brought to light, so that the true people of God may see them for what they truly are and sigh, and cry over all these abominations. Then obey the command of the Lord, and come out of her. Ezekiel 8, 9, 10, and he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold every form of creeping things, and abominable beasts, yes, and all the idol shown thousand five hundred forty-four of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. Now, we come to the second member of the family of the Trinity doctrine upon which all the other Catholic doctrines hang. For as they state, it would be very difficult to explain the blessed Trinity without Our Lady the Mother. Father, Mother, Child, or Son, this is the essence of who the blessed Catholic Trinity really is. Idol Hone 1544 Gilu 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 from Strong's Concordance Hone 1556 Properly a log is round, by implication, an idol, idol. This idol or log is the symbol of Semiramis. In other places in the Bible it is referred to as groves as Asharim, Ashtoreth, or Asherah, was the name of the chief female deity worshipped in ancient Syria, Phoenicia, and Canaan. The Phoenicians called her start, the Assyrians worshipped her as Ishtar, and the Philistines had a temple of Asherah 1 Samuel 31.10. Because of Israel's incomplete conquest of the land of Canaan, Asher worship survived and plagued Israel starting as soon as Joshua was dead. Judges 2.13 Asher was represented by a limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. The trunk was usually carved into a symbolic representation of the goddess. Because of the association with carved trees, the places of Asher worship were commonly called groves and the Hebrew word Asher plural. Ashram, could refer either to the goddess or to a grove of trees. One of King Manasseh's evil deeds was that he took the carved Asher pole he had made and put it in the temple 2 Kings 21.7. Another translation of carved Asher pole is graven image of the grove KJV. On the left is the Babylonian tablet stone of temple laws and rituals, and in this writing is stated the laws of the Vestal Virgins that lived in the temples for the pleasure of the priests. Here are the stones of Samurais and the temple rituals. These stones speak of sacred prostitution, temple prostitution, or religious prostitution, all of which are a sexual ritual consisting of sexual intercourse and slash or other sexual activity performed in the context of religious worship, as a form of fertility, right, and divine marriage hieros gamos. Scholars have long considered such practices to be customary in the ancient world. 
you may think those poor girls. I'm so glad that we are civilized enough for that not to happen today, but it still does. This practice in some of the largest religions of the world is still very much alive today. Take a look. Considered the moon goddess, Asherah was often presented as a consort of Baal, the sun god Judges 3, 7, 6, 28, 10, 6, 1 Samuel 7, 4, 12, 10. Asherah was also worshipped as the goddess of love and war, and was sometimes linked with Anath, another Canaanite goddess. Worship of Asherah was noted for its sensuality and involved ritual prostitution. The priests and priestesses of Asherah also practiced divination and fortune-telling. This worship of Semiramis is not just ancient, but modern as well. The Lord God, through Moses, forbade the worship of Asherah. The law specified that a grove of trees was not to be near the altar of Jehovah Deuteronomy 16.21. Despite God's clear instructions, Asherah worship was a perennial problem in Israel. As Solomon slipped into idolatry, one of the pagan deities he brought into the kingdom was Asherah called the goddess of the Sidonians, 1 Kings 11, 5.33. Later, Jezebel made Asherah worship, even more prevalent, with 400 prophets of Asherah on the royal payroll, 1 Kings 18.19. At times, Israel experienced revival. Notable crusades against Asherah worship were led by Gideon, Judges 6, 25-30 King Asar, 1 Kings 15-13 and King Josiah, 2 Kings 23-17. Though whether we call her Semiramis Ishtar, Akkadian Sumerian, Diana, Minerva Vesta, they are really all the same pagan goddess, just called by different names and in different generations and nations. So what have we learned? They are all the same goddess. If you do not believe this, just take some time and look at all the pictures and statues placed in churches and temples. 1. Buddhist temple, a start and child. 2. Mother of our Lord Catholic Church. So, what are some of the other signs of Semiramis, Ishtar, Diana, and Mary, whatever name you wish to call her? In the Bible times her sign was a log or grove of logs. Here in Ezekiel 8, 10, the Lord introduces her by using the word, idle Hebrew word, Gilu. A round log, by implication, an idol in a grove. They took trees, limbed and barked them, cut off the tops, and then stood them upright in the ground until they had a grove of these poles sticking up out of the ground. By implication, these maples are idols. This is a worship of Semiramis Dai, on Artemis Virgin Mariestrashtarathastot. As we have stated, this is all the same goddess. He had another symbol as well, the two. Babylon's P 308 by Islip Semiramis was symbolized by the dove, and still is today. It is not our privilege to decide what true Christianity and pagan power worshipper. As created beings, we must study to find but what are God's symbols and manner of worship, and what Satan's symbols and manner of worship are. When we overlap the two, that is compromise, for the two are diametrically opposed to one another. Christ does not walk with Satan in any way. As the God of truth and righteousness, he does nothing in partnership with Satan, the father of lies. There must be no compromise if we would walk in God's path. We must not overlap our banners or signs with that of the bowl-worshipping heathen. 
If we do not flee from these evil signs that are an abomination to the Lord, if we do not make any clear distinction and cut loose from these, then neither will the death angel of us. 9. When he comes through to say utterly old and young, take the symbol of worshipping God on a certain day. He says keep the seventh day Sabbath, the bull worshipping pagan says, Sunday's my day. And the professed Christian says Sunday's my day too. That's compromise. Take the symbol of baptism. God says baptize by immersion, but the pagan says we do it by sprinkling. The professed Christian says we sprinkle too. That's compromise. Another symbol is the obelisk. The bull worshipping pagan says, that's my symbol. The professed Christian looks at it and says, that's my sign. It is just a steeple. It's just a lightning rod. That's compromise. That is what the third angel's messages are all about. Yelp, touch not the unclean thing. Then and only then God will receive us as his own. And if we refuse to care, neither will he. Why should he? God has warned his people that a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, 20, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Exodus 23, 2, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Romans 1, 21, 24, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible Dodi into an image on thousand five hundred four made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Twenty-four, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. Corruptible man, we shall look closely at that in a moment, but first let us take a look at images. Strong's Concordance, image 1504, Epsilon Iota Kappa made a new icon icon from 1503. A likeness that is literally statue profile, or figuratively representation, resemblance image. This includes all two-dimensional portraits and three-dimensional statues. What happens when those who profess to know God make images? Verse 24 tells us. Romans 1.24 Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. What was it that Hislop said that Semiramis was represented as? A dove professed Christianity takes the likeness of a dove, and then claims that it is okay to use it because the Bible likens that to the Holy Spirit. That is when professing to be wise, as the Lord says, we become fools. We are not to make images to represent the Godhead. It is a breaking of the second commandment. Instead of realizing the deep things of God, professed Christianity are quick to become fools and liken heavenly things to a smelly feathered bird. This is the plan of Satan to take something earthly and put it in place of the heavenly trio. This, of course, is totally against the Ten Commandments of God. Let us see what effect this has had on early history. Signs of the Times, December 20, 1877, in those day all men were not in the fullest sense heathen idolaters. Many had a knowledge of God and of his law, but in their grand works of sculpture, in their works of art, they professed to be honouring God by representing him in the works of their own hands, in the similitudes which they had made of God. 
These works of art were worshipped as God, and the Creator was forgotten. The class who professed a knowledge of God were the ones who had the greatest influence and took the lead in making of none effect his words spoken to them by Noah. They not only rejected the message of the faithful preacher of righteousness themselves, but like their master the devil they sought every means in their power to prevent others from believing and being obedient to God. Notice they were not heathen idolaters, they had a knowledge of God, but they made sculptures, works of art, idols, etc., patriarchs, and prophets p. 5. As they endeavored to represent God by material objects, their minds were blinded to his majesty and power. They ceased to realize the holiness of his character, or the sacred and changing nature of his requirements. As sin became general, it appeared less and less sinful, and they finally declared that the divine law was no longer in force, that it was contrary to the character of God to punish transgression, and they denied that his judgments were to be visited upon the earth. Had the men of their generation obeyed the divine law, they would have recognized the voice of God in the warning of his servant. But their minds had become so blinded by rejection of light that they really believed Noah's message to be a delusion. This is where the Christian world is today. They do not realize that Christ still has the power to set them free from sin. They believe he will use magic when he comes in the clouds of heaven to change their wicked hearts, which is a total lie. If we don't love him enough to obey him now, when we see him, we won't want to change heart then either. Luke 17, 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So here we are. When we urge people not to worship under obelisks, or to have anything to do with the making or worshipping of pictures, images, or idols, because it is satanic, they cry fanatic. Question. What is the definition of a fanatic? Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, P. 243. About this time, fanaticism began to appear. Some who professed to be zealous believers in the message rejected the word of God as the one infallible guide, and claiming to be led by the Spirit, gave themselves up to the control of their own feelings, impressions, and imaginations. There were some who manifested a blind and bigoted zeal denouncing all who would not sanction their course. So stepping off of the platform, I, the word of God, going by feelings, impressions, and imaginations, is true fanaticism. Repeating the truth over and over and over again is not fanaticism. Repetition aids learning. We must instill in our minds the truths of the word of God, and in order to do that we must continually search through its pages going over and over the same ground, digging deeper each time. The whole Christian world thinks it is okay. You have obelisks on their churches, doves on their stained glass windows, and pictures of Jesus in his human form all over their walls, books and papers. How does God feel about this? Exodus 24 Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, idol, or any likeness painting, or picture of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Lev. 26. One ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither. Bring you up a standing image, obelisk, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land, to bow down unto it, or I, the Lord your God. Dute. Ye corrupt yourselves, and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, 
idol, obelisk pictures, paintings, the likeness of male or female. Deuteronomy 4. 23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything, idol, obelisk, pictures, paintings, which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. Deuteronomy 4. 25. When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger. Deuteronomy 5. 8. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Deuteronomy 27. 15. Cursed be the man, that maketh any graven, or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Jeremiah 10.14 Every man is brute in his knowledge, every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. Ahem 1.14 And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more thy name be sown, out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave for thou art vile. Habakkuk 2.18 What profiteth the graven image, that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image, and a teacher of lies, that the maker, his work trusteth therein, to make dumb idols. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What is the end result of disobeying this plain commandment of the Lord? Roman 1 and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and two, birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. 24 For God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 25 Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed for ever. Amen. Twenty-six for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that, which is against nature. Twenty-seven, and likewise also the men. Leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. Twenty-eight, and even, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Twenty-nine, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, thirty backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. We see here image-making, and worship leads to homosexuality. Have you wondered why it is being accepted as normal and promoted in the church? It is because of the idols and images in the church, who, without understanding covenant-breakers, without natural affection, implacable, and merciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What does this mean? They which have pleasure in them, that do them, are worthy of death. 
what can be seen on TV. Pride, backbiting, gossip, hatred, envy, jealousy, murder, fornication, witchcraft, adultery, stealing, lying, etc. A word the wise is sufficient. Testimonies, volume 4p. 185. God has no sympathy with the evildoer. He gives no one liberty to gloss over the sins of his people, nor to cry peace, peace, when he has declared that there shall be no peace for the wicked. We cannot waste a moment of probationary time in enjoying the sins or sympathizing with those that love and practice evil. The word make in the second commandment means more than most think. Exodus 24, 5 Thou shalt not make use furnish, yet maintain, gather, deal with for yourselves any called molten image, an illusion, resemblance, or representative figure that would take care of two-dimensional portraits and to the any graven image or any likeness that is something fashioned, outportioned, shaped out, in other words, a three-dimensional image. Likeness. Thou shalt not make H6213. To do or make, in the broadest sense and widest application, become. That would entail acting the part of another person, bring forth, be busy, have the charge of commit, deal with, deck, fashion, feast, furnish, gather, get, keep, labor, maintain, make, perform. Practice, prepare, procure, provide, put, requite, sacrifice, serve, yield, use. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image a 6459. An idol carved, graven image, molten image, an illusion, resemblance, or representative figure, or any likeness from age 4327. Something portioned that is fashioned out as a shape, embodiment, or image likeness, similitude, similitude, manifestation of statutes. Any molten or carved image idol of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. In other words, don't make pictures or idols of birds, animals, or fish to represent the heavenly trio. If Christians truly believed that Jesus was the divine Son of God, they would never make pictures of him. This is a violation of the two in D commandment. We cannot keep just the forty-eighth commandment and think that we shall be saved while violating the two in D commandment. Thou shalt not make any graven image. It is an abomination unto the Lord. The word abomination means despicable, abhorrent, extreme hatred for. We find the following picture on a website showing the Catholic Trinity. Please look at this picture very carefully, for the Catholic Trinity is shown here. Below the picture we find the following statement. Most Holy Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and our Blessed Mother in her heavenly glory, wearing a Trinitarian habit. Let's count their list, Father, too. Son three, Holy Spirit of four, Mother Trinity. I thought Trinitytp slash slash division come slash Trinitarian slash devotions slash Holy Trinity. HTML. IT was three. This makes four. So how does this work? Simple. Remember, we already showed you that Semiramis is the same as Mary, the Mother of Christ, and in the two Babylons be three hundred eight by. Islip Semiramis was symbolized by the dove. So we see the true Catholic Trinity, pagan trinity as father, mother, child. This is not the true heavenly trio of father, son, and Holy Spirit. 
Think about all Catholic doctrines based on Mary. She intercedes for man. She works on the heart of man to convict and convince of sin, etc. The knife friend is the job of the Holy Spirit according to the Scriptures. Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. At a 12, 1900, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The world can only be warned by seeing those who believe the truth sanctified through the truth, acting upon high and holy principles, showing in a high, elevated sense. The line of demarcation between those who keep the commandments of God and those who trample them under their feet. The sanctification of the Spirit signalizes the difference between those who have the seal of God and those who keep a spurious rest day. 7 BC 980.8 This insightful comment by the compilers of the 1911 Great Controversy States Comments for page 52. Image worship, the worship of images, was one of those corruptions of Christianity which crept into the church stealthily and almost without notice or observation. This corruption did not like other heresies develop itself at once, for in that case it would have met with decided censure and rebuke, but making its commencement under a fair disguise. Though gradually was one practice after another introduced in connection with it, that the church had become deeply steeped in practical idolatry, not only without any efficient opposition, but almost without any decided remonstrance, and when at length an endeavour was made to root it out, the evil was found too deeply fixed to admit of removal. It must be traced to the idolatrous tendency of the human heart, and its propensity to serve the creature more than the Creator. GC 680.1 God is dishonoured when we make pictures of Him. Images and pictures were first introduced into churches, not to be worshipped, but either in the place of books to give instruction to those who could not read or to excite devotion in the minds of others. How far they ever answered, such a purpose is doubtful. But even granting that this was the case for a time, it soon ceased to be so. And it was found that pictures and images brought into churches darkened rather than enlightened the minds of the ignorant, degraded rather than exalted the devotion of the worshipper. Oh, that however they might have been intended to direct men's minds to God, they ended in turning them from him to the worship of created things. J. Endem, the Seventh General Council, the Second of Nikia Introduction, pages EIFI. GC 680.2. The Second Commandment is to be taken in the context of the First Commandment, Exodus 23, Thou shalt have no other gods but before me. Ezekiel 8.11.14. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Josaniah the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, haste thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel leaders do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Chambers of his imagery, the mind, it is often called the last frontier to be conquered. We must not have pictures of the heavenly tree of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost, or of heaven. Must, but not least, in Ezekiel 8 verses 13, 
and 14, we are introduced to the baby of the Trinity family. Ezekiel 8, 13, 14, he said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. And he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz with his mother Semiramis worshipped at the tower of Babel, and recognized today as Mary, and the Christ. More on Tammuz in a moment. Here's a stained glass window, in a Catholic church, with the pagan trinity in it. The sunburst represents Nimrods, Satan. Head of the pagan trinity, the dove represents Semiramis, and the Celtic cross behind, the head of the dove represents Tammuz. And the same symbols in this stained glass window of a Protestant church, the sunburst. 1. The sunburst Nimrod. 2. The dove Samurais. 3. Celtic cross Tammuz. How does Christ view the crosses in one and around all the churches? Maltese cross. Signs of the times, July 8, 1897. He saw the cross, the cruel, ignominious cross, with all its attending horrors, blazing with glory. But before the harvest can be reaped, the grain of wheat must fall into the oven Celtic cross of Tammuz behind the dove's head. Let's take a second and closer look at these pictures, drowned and die. Even so must Christ be crucified. Only by his death could the work of redemption be accomplished. Webster's Dictionary Definition, ignominious, very shameful, reproachful, dishonorable, only the worst of criminals were. Hanged on a tree, remember the sign given of the president swearing in facing an obelisk. We believe that the changing of logos and signs in the church are signals to Rome that the church is no longer a Protestant threat to her but has indeed joined them fully. We were told papists place crosses upon their churches, upon their altars, and upon their garments. 4 SB 384. Jute. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. Jute. Adi shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. In early American times a rope was used for hanging a criminal with a noose around his neck for a crime committed because America followed the word of God. But the heathen Romans who worshipped the Babylonian trinity crucified traitors and criminals upon the sign of Tammuz the T. The Satan planned to doubly curse the Son of God, making him not only a curse to God, but to man. Condensing two or three pages from the two Babylons, by Alexander Hislop, and Babylon, Mystery Religion, by Ralph Woodrow, and putting it in my own words. The world religions are based on the original religion that came from the Tower of Babel, which means Gate of the Gods. In the book of Genesis 10, 8, 12, Nimrod means he rebelled, was slain, some say, by Shem. His wife Semiramis, queen of heaven, became ruler and spiritual. Trinity. Leader of the people, after his death, she had an illegitimate child, which she claimed was from Nimrod, who was alive and well on the sun, when the child was born December. 25th she named him Tammuz. The doctrine of reincarnation comes from this priestess mother's teaching that Tammuz was to be worshipped as the sun god, for she taught that he was Nimrod. Come back to her. She married Tammuz, her own son. When he came of age, 
calling him Nimrod Bacchus, Adonis Osiris. This is the origin of the Trinity doctrine. The ancient pagans chose the evergreen tree as his symbol for it never dies. The Egyptians built their pyramids in the shape of Tammuz trees now known as Christmas trees. Before we go into the keeping of Tammuz's birthday, I want to share something with you. I have often wondered throughout my life how we know what Jesus really looked like, who was the picture of our Eli, the two-dimensional in Tammuz and Mother, ages or pictures that we see of Jesus, who are they? Where did the artist get their idea for the supposed face of Christ in his human form? As I was studying for this document and doing the research online, I came across this image of Tammuz, and then this drawing made off of this image found in archaeological digs, and I kept thinking, where have I seen that face before, that nose, that cheek, this image looks so familiar. Looking upon this picture, we see what human beings become when they venture to separate from God. One false step prepares the way for another, and every step is. Now let's turn the image around, adding a beard. There he is, taken more easily than the last. Her souls are found following another leader than Christ. This is a breaking of the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness. Remember what we read in Romans 1, 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Are we out of line saying that this portrait is a likeness of Tammuz? I don't believe so because Protestants have celebrations on both the day of his conception and his birthday, Easter and Christmas. Hammers, like his father, was a mighty hunter, but at forty years of age he was slain by a wild boar, and thus the man became a legend and has been worshipped ever since. Ezekiel speaks of weeping for Tammuz. To this day, even professed Christians keep his birthday with all the symbols of the pagan trinity, and for forty days there is fasting. Now called the forty days of Lent before Easter, some say that Easter was when he was killed by the boar, which is the reason for the tradition of eating ham at these holidays. The animal that slew him, hunting Easter eggs, a sign of fertility, the rabbit also a sign of fertility, the hot cross buns have been made by the worshippers of the pagan trinity since earliest times as a sacrifice to Tammuz. If you count, from March 25th to December 25th you have exactly nine months. So, because of the fertility overtones of bunnies, eggs, and etc. on Easter, it was probably the day of his conception. Abelin Mystery Religion by Ralph Woodrow, page 163-164 The festival of Christmas was celebrated by pagan societies many centuries before the birth of Christ. When the sun began its northward trek in the sky, and days began to grow longer again, pagans celebrated the winter solstice by burning the yule. Log. Since the sun had reversed itself and was now rising in the sky, ancient pagans believed this was a sign that the human sacrifices carried out at Samhain Halloween had been accepted by the gods. The nearer aspects of the Christmas tradition have their roots in Roman custom and religion. The earliest reference to Christmas as being observed on December 25 comes from the second century after Jesus' birth. It is likely that the first Christmas celebrations were in reaction to the Saturnalia, a Roman harvest festival that marked the winter solstice, the return of the sun, and in honor of Saturn, the god of sowing and agriculture. 
Saturnalia was a rowdy festival. It is believed that Christmas developed as a means of replacing worship of the sun with worship of the sun. At the Saturnalia, all classes of people exchanged gifts, commonest being wax tapers, candles, and clay dolls. These dolls represented original sacrifices of human beings. There is absolutely no record in the Bible of anyone observing Christmas. There is not even a hint of a Christmas celebration or anything remotely like it. When we consider the customs associated with Christmas, we have to ask ourselves just what do decorated evergreen trees, holly, mistletoe, yule logs, a jolly plump man in a red suit says, and flying reindeer have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? The answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. But it has everything to do with the Trinity doctrine of the pagan cards of the rebellious Nimrod and his wife and her child-slash-husband. As we can see, even Wiccan witches are comfortable keeping Christmas. The round wreaths, sun disc, the ball sun, the candles worship of gods. And to call Satan posing as God, all-knowing can see when you're good or bad coming with gifts for the good. The reindeer, evergreen tree, holly berries, mistletoe, yule log, gifts all of it, are straight from mystery religion of Nimrod, Semiramis and Tammuz. What did God say about this? Jeremiah 10, 1, 5, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not they must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. This is the way of the heathen. We are not to learn the customs of the heathen. What does the weeping and keeping of Tammuz's birthday and death lead to? Going back to the last few verses of Ezekiel 8 gives us the answer. God final question to man. Ezekiel 8, 15, 18, Then said he unto me, Haste thou seen this, O son of man. Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Haste thou seen this, O son of man. Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury in mine eye, shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. The branch to the nose was, and still is a custom, with the worshippers of the Babylonish trinity. What does this lead to? Satan, in his insane hate and desire to be like God gives man a false doctrine, the false trinity doctrine. God warned us in Ezekiel 8 that this would take place and begged us over and over through out scripture not to have anything to do with these abominations, for they lead us to Sunday worship. Have one mind, reverend. 17, 13, not one unbeliever left.
Ezekiel 9, 1, 11, he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a sort of weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with the writers in corn by his side, and they went in, and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writers in corn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh, and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity, say utterly old, and young both maids and little children, and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain, go ye forth. And they went forth, and slew in the city. And it came to pass, while they were slaying them, and I was left that I fell upon my face, and cried, and said, O Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel, in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness, for they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Judgment is coming swiftly, cards, great law is the standard of the judgment upon those that have mingled the worship of Satan with the worship of God. It is time to come apart and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing so that Christ can receive us. Dear friend, we plead with you to put away the idols and images out of your house and life, and cut loose from all these abominable things that the Lord hates. For if we hang on to them, we will be cut down by the destroying angel. The rejection of the Holy Spirit and the acceptance of idolatry is a dangerous thing. It leads to eternal death. At twelve thirty-one thirty-two, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. What does blasphemy against the Spirit of God mean? No one need look upon the sin against the Holy Ghost as something mysterious and indefinable. The sin against the Holy Ghost is the sin of persistent refusal to respond to the invitation to repent or rage, June 29, 1897. Let us pray the prayer of David, cast me not away from your presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Then, and only then, will the Spirit of God be able to finish the work in us, and us into all truth through his Spirit of truth. Joshua 24:15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, 
before the gods of the Amorites, in whose land he dwelled. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Duke, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Much of this study was taken from a tape, which was recorded over thirty-eight years out of custom, Michael Hodges, who was told never to preach about Ezekiel 8, not because it was error, but because the leadership were against the message Ezekiel 8 contained, when he told them that he must do as God bid him to do and preach what God commanded him to preach he was threatened. After much prayer, thought he determined that the people of God must know this message whether the leadership liked it or not. He preached this sermon, and was fired from his position as pastor. Testimony Press spent many hours on the phone with him before his death in December of 2014. Those conversations led us to the conviction that even though he warned us not to publish this material we needed to do it. His reason for not wanting us to was not because he had come to disbelieve the message, but because of his fear that our lives would be brought to quick ruin by Laodicea determined to have her own way, and continuing in the downward track to perdition. His counsel was leave them alone, they will crucify you and God's message. They are not worth it. They love their evil ways. But our hearts are in deep despair over those faithful few who know not the truth, that will take this message, clean up their lives, and prepare for our Lord's soon return. Will you be one of them? Transcribed from tape and reprinted for the author. Pictures added by testimony press to show the truthfulness of Pastor Hodge's words. Go ye out to meet him. Matthew 25, 6.